as we go along in life, we'll meet people who play a significant role in changing something. So these are significant people. And it might be a, a quick passing. It might just be a short meeting. And it might be something longer as well. It might be a relationship. It might be positive information or positive influence. So it could be negative as well. And it could be a lesson that we learn through the association or working with this person as well. And at the time that I met today's guest, Amy Bow, I was in a lot of pain. I was a business owner. I owned a gym, strength and conditioning coach, uh, personal trainer, and I was even an ambassador for Lululemon down there in Melbourne. And I was all of these things. I had this identity, and yet I was going through this back injury. And I couldn't really move very well. I could still lift and, you know, do a lot of the Olympic lifts, especially when I warmed up, but I couldn't get out of a chair comfortably. And it was, it creates a lot of conflict because we have this identity and I had this identity and all of a sudden this was a mismatch and all of a sudden I couldn't do these things that I was supposed to be able to do very well. And Amy came into the gym that I had and she was doing some mobility and strength exercises, which to me at the time seemed completely ridiculous, if I'm totally honest, and yet still sparked my interest enough that after, you know, seeing this maybe four or five times, we got to talking and she took me through a little one-on-one session to show me what she did. And I resonated with her story of going through a back injury as well. And I got effectively three kind of exercises that I started to work on after this session and I committed to doing them for a month and I did them every day for a month because I tried going to physios, I tried all sorts of other things and I wasn't getting a result and I was frustrated. So I did the three exercises and long story short, the pain was not only completely gone but I could move far more easily and more freely and it was quite remarkable. And so this was a significant event and a significant person in my life because it changed how I looked at something. It changed the way I walked through the world. It changed how I moved. It changed what I engaged in going forward in my training and then eventually what I would teach others and and what I would pass along. So it was quite impactful. And today we had a great conversation and we talked about injuries. We talked about this mindset and this shift in perspective that happens through injuries, which can be a gift and a teacher. And we talked about exercise and training, of course, and movement. And we talked about Amy's work. Amy works with women and helps to educate them and allow them to step into more powerful versions of themselves and understand things like training and movement and also nutrition as well and how to approach this stuff from a really powerful place of love and abundance which sounds overused and corny but if you stick through the episode I think you'll start to understand exactly what I mean and it's really cool this is John Marsh and you're listening to the Access Potential Podcast have Amy Bo on today's episode. Amy, how's it going? I am well. I am sitting here in the sunshine and it's 4.15 
in the afternoon here in Vancouver. Right across the other side of the world. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I'm really interested in this episode because I want to talk about uh, a lot of different things. We go way back now, I think like four years or something. And just for some quick context, uh, Amy was the first person that I ever saw what I would kind of call in the inverted quotation marks, the movement sort of stuff. And it changed a lot of what I was doing with my training at the time, which of course kind of can change everything. So there's a big conversation we can have. Basically, I had a, a back injury and uh, was just going super hard and kind of crushing myself. And then Amy was doing some weird stuff in the gym and started to, I, I was interested and intrigued. And then curiosity led to a one-to-one and we started to kind of go from there. Maybe let's start... Um, I think it's really interesting for you, Amy, because we've got like all of, a whole bunch of like shifts we could talk about and like different phases of different stories. And that's kind of really cool because I really resonate with these like about turns that we do in life where we go, oh shit, change something. Maybe, yeah. um, maybe just like give us some backstory on, on your background. Obviously, we met kind of in that training sort of space maybe just the background before that, what were you doing when I met you and um, how did it all kind of begin? Yeah, I think the first time when we met, uh, I think I was doing uh, deficit, stiff leg, snatch grip deadlifts. And I think my toes were elevated or something weird along those lines. Um, but I, I'll go back a little bit into my story. So I've always been a mover. I come from a gymnastics and a dancing background. So I did gymnastics from about the age of three up until I was about 12. Uh, and I competed in gymnastics. And then my family moved. Uh, I originally was born in Canberra and Canberra has a very big gymnastics culture. And so throughout primary school, I was competing in gymnastics and then I went to do a trial at the AIS, which is the Australian Institute of Sport. And I, the only memory from that I can recall is being so terrified. I was on the mat and we were doing backflips and my dad was sitting in the stand and I just felt like I shouldn't be there. I was only nine at the time and it was just this scary big place full of these amazing gymnasts. My family moved up north and uh, in our small town, we didn't have a strong gymnastics culture. So I stopped doing gymnastics and then I started to dance. And I danced all throughout uh, primary school and high school and then stopped dancing uh, when I finished high school. Uh, then I, I finished high school in 2005 and my sister uh, suffered anorexia and she was sick for a really long time. And then I became really interested in this mind-body connection. So I decided that I would become a dietitian and specialize in eating disorders. So I went and did a Bachelor of Exercise Science and Nutrition. And while I was at university, uh, I started to run a lot. And for me, I thought it was a very 
quick, efficient way to train. Uh, but the excessive running and I would always try and practice my way into perfection. And so I got obsessed with running and becoming better at it faster, improving my gait. So I ran a lot. And then that paired with the excessive sitting, uh, I started to develop a little bit of lower back pain. And this was in uh, my undergrad degree. So in about 2007, 2008, 2009. Uh, and then I moved to Melbourne and I started my master's in dietetics. And this was in 2012. And I was still running a lot and training. I had been in the gym since I was about 14, just my local gym um, and just training, not doing anything specific, not on a program but I had been in the gym space since like 14 years old. And so then I moved to Melbourne and I was a trainer. So I started to coach uh, and do PT in a commercial gym. And with my own training, I was still running a lot, probably at least five to 10 K nearly every day. And over time, my back got uh, worse and worse. It would flare up more and more. Mm. And then in 2012, when I started my master's, that year or those 18 months were so stressful. So I was doing my full-time master's. Then we had to do a full-time clinical placement, which was in a hospital for nine weeks from like eight to five. I was still getting up every morning at 5 a.m. to train before I went to the hospital. And then I had a full-time uni load and then a relationship breakdown, uh, which was messy. And uh, so I remember one day that my back flared up so bad that I couldn't even get off the floor. And I had to lay there uh, for a long time and it will come, come in waves. And so then I was referred to a trainer who specialized in rehabilitation and pain and we started to work together and I still have my first piece of homework from him which was uh, a hollow hold so it's a like a midline strength exercise where you just lay on your back and then you try and hold your legs and your arms out and I couldn't even hold a hollow hold for 20 seconds and uh, it was these basic little exercises and for me, it was such a hard thing because I came from such an athletic background where I had moved all my life and I'd always felt strong and capable. And I got to this place that I was so weak and broken and I couldn't even bend down uh, to put my shoes on. I couldn't lift uh, 20 kilos off the floor. And so then I started to work with Jules, uh, who became my trainer my good friend and my coach my teacher my mentor and basically we took a weak girl and developed her into an athlete and i'm so happy to to tell to tell you about that journey as well mm. uh it's um let's just go like the bit where i think is kind of really important and probably not the main thing that we focus on in the in the podcast perhaps, but the bit where you have this injury and 
like we've all had it, right? Like I've had many times, lots of different things come and go. And I can think of a lot of people who I know closely, especially um, athletes, people who have performed at a high level. What does it talk us through what it can feel like so that for those who have been there can kind of sit with it. And then also we can just kind of set the stage because there's this, there's this, you know, all of these shifts that we'll get into, there's this deeper level of shift that goes on as well. There's a letting go, there's a transformation, there's an identity shift. It's, it's, it could be pretty scary. Tell us like when you, you've been a gymnast runner, all of these things, so you've got this, the person who you are, and then all of a sudden you can't get off the floor for a day or whatever it might be. And it's not going away. It comes back, it goes, it comes back. Just put us, go back to then and talk us through the mindset a little bit. Cause I think a lot of people resonate with this and it can be pretty sticky, huh? Yeah, it can. Um, and this, when I was in this place and this journey was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my life. And so I got to this point and this first session with Jules and my homework was three basic things and that was all. Uh, and, and I felt just weak and broken and I was so disconnected from my body. I was actually in a really yucky place. Like I, had hormonal imbalances. I actually got shingles, which is very rare in a young, <laughs> in a young person. Um, so it was actually, I was quite a mess. Um, stressed. So stressed. Uh, and I, I guess my body was speaking to me in symptoms, but I wasn't listening for so long because training has always been um, a way to, uh, to connect, to connect to myself and uh, to help me like function and navigate through life. And it was just, it was always there. And so then coming from that place of doing it every day to only having these three pieces of homework, which was so basic, um, was really hard. But I, Jules was very uh, unconventional very innovative, um, very against the status quo. And so I was attracted to him straight away in his approach to training and the body. And he disrupted a lot of views that I had around training. I was trained very traditionally through university. And so my training style was quite traditional. And then he started to disrupt all these things. Um, that I believed around the body and around training. And we started to do work together that um, was just very different from what I'd ever experienced. But the feeling that came with that was fear. And I feel like there's this gap that gets created when you suffer an injury. And in the gap are these feelings of like fear and frustration. And I remember I would see him once a week for an hour and probably in the first six or eight months in our session together that I would cry not because the the work was hard but because I just felt so weak and mm. so broken and I couldn't see the I couldn't see the end <laughs> like I, I was stuck in this place where I thought it was permanent that mm. I was always going to feel like this but day by day 
session by session, we slowly started to cultivate a healthier, stronger spine. And what was, what's really important is that my goal was never about trying to do an exercise again or trying to change my body composition. My goal was to always have a healthy, strong spine and to never feel the way that I did when I started working with him. Interesting. Um, it's kind of important, or not important, but this concept of not knowing, you know, you mentioned the shingles and you mentioned this full breakdown. And it kind of reminds me of in the triathlons, I remember doing this race and it was the best race that I had ever done, Huskisson Long Course. And I came back from this race and I went back to Sydney from Jarvis Bay, couldn't get out of bed for like five days. And I think it's really interesting because my position now is basically that there's, you know, this huge addiction to exercise out there and it's like, it's insane. And I kind of look back at myself at almost, almost to the last 20 years, 15 years. And it's like, whoa, like that's really crazy, right? Like how, how much the mind, how we go through these stages, right? Where we're like, yeah, we're onto it. We're, get, we're getting somewhere. And then, and then boom, like something happens. Like, okay. We got to learn. And it might not be in the physical, physical domain that, that it might be a mental, emotional domain that triggers us and makes us realize the physical was the place we we're overreaching or addicted or whatever it was. Um, maybe talk a little bit about, cause I know you work with a lot of, uh, people and women in particular, but this thing where, you know, it's like, and it may have been at that instance, or it may have been later on, we we're doing the thing, we're training, whatever it is, we're doing our routine and everything's really great, but then everything breaks down, right? Sometimes and inevitably it stops us. It's like, Oh shit, here we go again. And <laughs> And the first few times, that's really scary. And then all of a sudden, you're like, okay, I'm starting to like not to, to not pretend that I know as much anymore and just kind of go with it and keep learning. Talk to us a little bit about that. I always say it's like the fish can't see its own water. The fish in the bowl can't see its own water. It's like going, going, going. And it's really easy for other people who have been there to go, oh, yeah, maybe you're going a little bit too hard there. And we're just like, no, no, no. We're still, this is <laughs> yeah. like... Talk us, to, talk us through that perception shift a little bit, maybe, you know, at that stage or, or later or, you know, what does that kind of mean to you? Yeah. Uh, so it took me uh, about 12 months to rehabilitate and develop this strong, healthy spine and get full range of move, movement back pain-free. And then one day Jules taught me how to snatch, which is an Olympic weightlifting move. And I just had this natural ability to be able to do it. And it's quite common with a lot of dancers or gymnasts that they can pick up the technique or the pattern really easily. And I remember the feeling that I felt in that session. That was like the first time again that I felt strong and graceful and powerful again. And so I went on a journey uh, and started to Olympic lift and I started to compete in Olympic weightlifting. And this journey ties in really well with your question. Uh, so I started to compete in about 2015 
and I suffered a couple of injuries. So a couple of things came up, like my ankle was sore, I hurt my knee a little bit, I had wrist pain. Um, I trained a lot, like three or four hours a day, uh, mostly to master the practice. I became very fascinated with the Olympic weightlifting, with becoming good at it. And I, this was... I felt it fueled this feeling of me feeling strong and powerful and graceful again, which I hadn't felt in a really long time. So I trained a lot and eventually I suffered a really bad rib injury uh, where I dislocated the head of my fourth rib away from the spine in 2016. And I couldn't lift for probably about six or seven months. And I had been lifting for two years. Um, and competing. And so this uh, time away from lifting, I didn't handle it very well <laughs> at all. Um, it surfaced a really deep attachment that I had to lifting. Uh, and so I was, I learned that I was basing my self-worth on the bar, the number on the bar, how well I lifted. And my body had been speaking to me in symptoms for quite a long time and I wasn't listening. So these things that were coming up, these little injuries, um, it was trying to tell me something, something about just the volume or the frequency or the load or my ability maybe to not be able to recover from that. And, but I didn't listen to them mm. until I had this bad rib injury, which I couldn't, the day that I did it, I couldn't breathe without pain. And that was for a couple of weeks. I couldn't put my shirt on. And so this was so hard for me because this was the first time that I went back to that dark place with my spine. And I thought that I would have learned <laughs> mm. with, my, with my spine and um, I would have learned something within that journey. And I did, but I still went back to that place of like, oh, this is permanent. I... I can't lift and I didn't really know what to do because that's all I had focused on for so long. And it was at the detriment to my body and the detriment to a lot of relationships in my life as well, because mm. it was the, it was the focus. And so who you are is getting questioned again. Yeah. So who I was, mm. was getting questioned again because I was now a weightlifter mm. and in my weight class, I wasn't the strongest but I was the prettiest. I had the best technique. And for someone whose story is around, we only do things that we're good at and my armor is perfectionism, it fueled it very well <laughs> and was one of the reasons why I love doing it because I was really good at it. And so then I was then therefore questioning like, who am I now again? Because I feel like that weak girl again and I don't feel like that strong, powerful weightlifter. And so I stepped away from weightlifting because of this attachment, uh, this negative attachment and how it had saturated my whole life and really uh, affected a lot of my relationships. Was this, so I walked away. Was, was this, did you walk away physically? Was this when you, do you think, you know, it was before you moved to Canada or do you think that that move was a big part of it? Like geographically not being, in the gym, in the same space with the same people? Yes. So I tried to hold on to it a little bit when I first moved here. Yeah. Um, but I was disconnected from my 
weightlifting club and from my coach uh, and we no longer worked together. And so I guess that disconnection then allowed me the space to actually just step back and just explore that or even start to, because when I was in Melbourne, I was still working with my coach and I, my goal was to get back to lifting and get back to competing. Mm. But then I moved to Canada and this is nearly three years ago. Uh, and I was disconnected from, from that world. And then I started to explore this whole idea of where is the playfulness? Because it became a job for me. Like I remember I would finish work some days and it would be eight o'clock at night and I would drag myself into the gym to complete the session. Mm. And it was no longer fun. There was no playfulness there. Uh, And it affected the relationship with my coach as well. Uh, And so when I moved here, I just stopped lifting. I let go of the bar. And I decided that I would try and find... um, We call it like specialist and generalist. And I guess the way that I can explain it was that I became a specialist in weightlifting. And I think that's okay for a little while, but when you specialize in something for a long time, then stuff can start to come up. And so I went back to this concept of like, well, you love to move. Like you love to connect with your body that way. So find something that you love to do again. So I went back to just gymnastic strength training and just play, like just playing. And I went back to dancing uh, to try and just connect with my body in a different way Mm. Um, and bring in this concept of play to bring in this concept of like a beginner's mind to go into something knowing that there, there's no focus on the outcome because with weightlifting, it was, there was always focus on the outcome why didn't you lift as much as last week? Yeah. Why didn't it look as good? This is the number that we need to get to. And so it was always focused on the result and the outcome. And I needed something that I to do that wasn't focused on the outcome. So you work with a lot, you have in the past and currently help a lot of people rehab, rehabilitate, or um, even work through, I know nutritional and other areas as well. This, there's a quote, that I'm reminded of, I think it was Osho and he, he spoke about the, um, the body never lies. The spirit knows where it's going. The spirit knows it, it knows the truth. The body never lies. The mind is the only part that can get confused. And it's like, it's like you talked about the symptoms were telling you something, telling you to change something. They're, they're like a little, an injury, whatever it might be saying, Hey, here's a little red flag. Like, something you're doing in your life isn't stacking up and we're going to let you know uh, and, and alert you about it. And I see this as like all the time, right? It's like the, the, you know, in a class, whatever it might be, an athlete is particularly athletes because it's part of the identity, right? Of the training, but the yeah. system pops up and it's like, but it could not be an athlete. It could be in any area of life, right? It could be stress, it could be anything. And, and there's this resistance and it's like, you know, we can't pivot until it's almost catastrophic and then we have to. But talk about the sensitivity to the, you know, we could call them symptoms or if that has a negative connotation, maybe even like these messages, right, that the body sends that's like maybe it's a message that 
alert someone and they go and seek help and this is when you meet them or maybe it's the message that you get from your own body and it's and it telling you to change or to rest or to do something how have you how have you found that changed over the time like once you just kept going until you couldn't get up off the floor now how do you talk to people about injury or pain or these little messages that are coming through because i think a lot of people listening are probably sitting there with a message right now that's telling them something obviously we don't know what but just that posture how do you how do you go about that openness to look at these things now that you've been through it so many times yeah uh, from a place of curiosity and exploration and so after i had my rib injury and i didn't deal with that really well uh I really worked hard to come from this place of curiosity and exploration. And so a year or two ago, I tore my meniscus in my knee. I was doing some crazy mobility move. (laughs) And I dealt with that so much more gracefully because I came from this place of curiosity and exploration. So it had sent me a message, quite a strong message, just because I was doing something a little crazy. But I wasn't attached to my training Um, or doing a certain thing and so that allowed me the space to come from this place of like exploration and curiosity actually what's what is my body telling me and now I get to enjoy the journey of rehabilitating it and I'd never really done that before because it was always just fix it and so you can keep doing what you're doing where now Um, If I do something and I feel like a little bit of pain or a niggle or um, I get a little bit injured, I always come from this place of exploration. And what I mean by that is, like, if you have a little bit of back pain, you need to get curious about it. Like, you need to move your spine a little bit. What, What is actually causing it? Is it actually the physical body or is it your stress? Is it your environment? Uh, What's actually going on? If you have knee pain, like what's causing the knee pain? Are you spending a little bit of time down like actually in your squat or in knee flexion or exploring what actually causes it? And so with my own body and through my own training, it now comes from this place of curiosity and exploration. And it also comes from that place with the people that I work with. And so I'm really there just to help them explore and get curious. Yes, I have the tools because I've been doing it for so long now. I have tools to help fix the pain or fix the problem. Um, But really, I invite them to explore it and get curious because I could give you the tools and the knowledge. But if you don't understand it and you don't understand your body, it's not very powerful. Uh, and then there's so many lessons in that. It's, you should be able to like, f- help your, yourself fix anything if you understand the process and you understand uh, when you come from this place of exploration and curiosity about your body that it's really empowering because then you're connected to yourself. And then from there, um, you can start to you know fix your injury or decrease your pain Hmm. this other this other sentence i think it was sharon salzberg salzberg and she said that there's um there's resilience and self-compassion 
And it kind of reminds you what you're talking about. It's like curiosity and acceptance and self-compassion. And it's like the, the other thing that, that occurs to me though, is like that may not be possible if the attachment is so strong to being the runner, you know, it, it's almost like, it's amazing to see, you know, for me, it was like the triathlete basically eventually put me like lying flat for a week. And it's like that attachment to the person who is the certain specific thing is so strong that I kind of wonder sometimes whether you need to go through it before you can get curious because it's almost like your blinders are on. You can't, yeah. there's like no place for that yet because <laughs> you still kind of can get through it. Yeah. Yeah. It took uh, me a long time. Like I'm a slow learner. <laughs> it yeah. took me a lot of a lot yeah. of injuries a lot, to get to this place of like just to be curious about about it. Yeah, and it's a huge evolution too because then you know it's it's not like you are the Olympic lifter, you are the runner. It's like there's a bigger shift going on. And I remember, you know, um doing some rehab work a lot of runners when we were in Melbourne and I remember one woman in particular she had gone from off the couch and she started to do half marathons she came in with a Achilles and plantar fascia issue and I just the first thing is just we got her shoes off and had a bit of a look in that but then I basically just asked her about her training and, and her thoughts on her running and you know would she consider for example reducing the volume, you know, because she went from zero to 80 Ks a week in this training program. And it was so clear that the stimulus and this, the shift towards being the marathon runner in such a short space of time for her body with where she was at, there was a strong message coming back. It's like, Hey, no, you know, it's not going to work. She's putting all sorts of like lifts in her shoes and all sorts of gate, you know, um, tape on her back and all of these things. And and I was, and we did some work around the Achilles and the back line and the fashion stuff. And I was like, at the end of the day, it was like, if you're not going to look at questioning this thing that you're doing and back off and, and look at this bigger picture of like, do you need to be this runner right now that does so much volume? You're not going to get a result. And it just continues until, you know, eventually it explodes. Yeah. And it can like, one way of the body speaking to you in those messages, it can be injury, but it also can be many other things. And through my work, which is what I found with people is that it, it can come up as like a hormonal imbalance. It can come up as um, like a stagnation in being able to get results. Like they just, they can't improve. They can't improve their, their strength or their performance. It can come up as they actually can't change their body composition. These are all the ways that the body is trying to speak to you. Mm. Um, Even and it's not just injury. Yeah. yeah. Mood relationships. Uh, and so when I came here and the winters are really hard here. Uh, there's a lot of darkness and I was still trying to train hard and like, like I guess express a lot of energy and still do a lot. And I was finding that I was just tired all the time and fatigued and I didn't really want to do anything. My mood was really low. And so I started to get really curious about like seasonal stuff, like what's actually happening because for so long, I, I would always just push, 
like go, 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 go. And then maybe I'd have a rest week. <laughs> like that would be it. And then it would be a build back up again. And so there was so much like energy out all the time. But when I experienced my first winter here, I really struggled and I was tired and fatigued all the time. So when the next winter came around, I played with this idea of doing less, actually just sleeping more and eating more and just walking and not training as hard while, because it's dark from eight, uh, from 4 PM to 8 AM here in winter time. And so I played with this whole, let's do less. And I felt so much better. And so then I got really interested in this seasonal stuff in like listening to like the different, the rhythms and the seasons. And that's helped me um, connect more powerfully with like my body because for so long I was just always an expander. I was always a doer. I wasn't um, very good at resting and recovery. And like, I think stress is okay. Like, stress is important. We need it. We need it for to change and to grow. But it's, like, the amount and our ability to be able to recover from it that I see as the issue. Mm. And so with people that are wanting to train a lot and train hard, that's okay sometimes. And we can do that in, like, short little sprints. Um, but we can't do that over a long period of time. And then we also can't do that if the rest of our life is stressed. Mm. And so if we experience stress from the moment that we wake up um, and then we're adding this training load on top of it, that we there's too much of it and then we don't have the ability to be able to recover from it. So a big learning for me has been around this seasonal stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things that I want to go into from that. <clears throat> uh, the stress thing, you know, I think there's this, there's the the also not just the magnitude and consistency, but the unseen nature of a lot of it. And it's going back to that goldfish in the fishbowl. It's like you know, things like financial stress, when you think about it uh, symbolically, what it can do to a person is this, you know, looking over the shoulder at all times and what it's like a threat. And when we have this, you know, this triangle of love, safety and belonging and, and in the middle of that, we have this ability for playfulness and connection and all of these things. It's like if we've got financial stress, work stress, emotional or relational stress, these things that could be small, but a little bit insidious that we're kind of ignoring little gaps that we're not sort of closing and addressing that curiosity and playfulness is like it's like it, it's impossible it just uh, you know what i mean the body isn't open to it um it's really interesting so and, and i and you know the thing that occurred to me is i think that what you're doing by working with people around this stuff is really important because i wasn't able to see the the water that I was in as the goldfish in the triathlon and the Olympic lifting in it, it. I can go through a list of 50 different mental, emotional <laughs> you know, occurrences where you're in it. You're like, no, no, it's all good. This is what I need to be doing. This is my goal. This is where I'm going. And then boom, everything blows up. And then people don't want to talk about it. But, but 
I have to talk to people, you know, I'll talk to someone, talk to Carl, you know, my mentor, or talk to other people to get the other person to look in. And it's actually an engagement to have someone who's both been there and is honest enough to say and ask the hard questions that are going to make you look at the things that you're engaging in and basically ask you if it's worth it and shine a light on what you're actually doing versus kind of what you think is going on in your head. Yeah, with so I I work a lot with women and they're they're so focused on the outcome and a lot of it is to do with body composition and weight. And so they are doing this type of training which may not be the right type of training for them. Uh it may uh it may not be serving them right now but they're so focused on this outcome uh they're so obsessed with like weight shape or size or food or that that all almost is like a chronic underlying stressor um this like obsession with like their weight shape or size or doing the training and getting the results getting the outcome so uh, what i found yeah they their why is not from that this place of like playfulness and joy and love and connection it's from this place of fear and scarcity and uh just it's very outcome focused and so they they're not enjoying it so it's not joyful they can't get results whether that's uh, a strength result changing their body composition um and then their body is speaking to them in these messages and a lot of it is hormonal stuff that comes up and so they're they're in this place and when i start working with them it's just starting to explore this it's like what's your why what's and- it can you can you break it down like a little bit more so what what might come up for somebody that's a consistent or or common or typical message that their body might be telling them that maybe their training or their work or something is like too too much too masculine too not a right fit for where they're at at the moment yeah so i see what i see a lot is hormonal imbalances uh and that comes through uh with like body composition so you could have excess like abdominal uh fat there um what i see a lot is pain and injury as well um and lack of results so these women that i'm working with have been training hard for a really long time <laughs> um like high intensity training for years if not decades and they've been dieting for decades as well but what's happened is that then they've birthed this disconnection to their body so they actually aren't connected at all um the the type of training or the way that they're eating um is is fueling that disconnection and so the work that we just start with is just around exploration it's what what's actually going on what's what is the body telling you where are we where are we at and then we look at stuff like what's actually like your your training story what's your food story where is where what's your why because the why is really important and this is what i've learned because before my i was always focused on the what and the how 
And that's, it was fine for a little while but until it wasn't. <laughs> and so now I think it's really important that we focus on this why. Like, why do we do what we do? Why are you training? And what I found is that it really needs to be from connection. And yeah, it's cool. Like, of course, you can have a goal and you can learn a cool skill. Like, that's fun. Um, and I'm not saying that that's like not important. And you can train hard, but really, when it comes back to it, it's that you're doing the training for to to connect to your body because it it's teaching you a lot about your yourself. Um, yeah, the body gets to speak to you, I guess, through movement. Hmm. Kind of, I'd love to talk a little bit about because there's so much that plays into this. You know, um, (laughs) the environment that you train in, how you, the type of programs, the type of clothes you're wearing, how you embody the whole sort of thing, and I guess what kind of comes to mind is you've got like this, I guess, typically masculine approach to something which might be task oriented, and it's like, you know, I'm gonna you know, I'm going to go to this place and do this thing and learn this thing. And it's like, or I'm going to achieve this goal. And then you've got maybe a more feminine energy of like through connection and flow and even love and a little bit like definitely a different approach. And obviously you had had exposure to dance. And I know that that could be on either side of that coin as well, depending on the context. Mm. But, um, you know, uh, is there anything you could talk a little bit about that? Because I, I think it's really interesting, like culturally, obviously there's some, there's some imbalances, I think, uh, with the women that you work with, I guess, zooming out, is there anything that comes to mind that you have learned through your own journey or through your study or research that you kind of go into that stuff? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so with the work that I do with women, it's, uh, all, um, it's a lot of body weight strength training. So Mm -hmm. basically we're just coming back to the body and they get to, to learn to use it as a tool and to feel empowered that their body can do all these really cool things. And within that there's hardness and softness. And so for a long time, um, everything that I did was hard a lot of hardness. Gymnastics is very hard. Um, When I danced, there was softness, but that was such a small part of my life. And then training in the gym, hardness. Olympic weightlifting, hardness. And so when I stepped away from weightlifting and I started to dance again, it was to explore this whole idea of softness again um, and connecting in a different way. And so when I work with these women, it's it's reconnecting into this energy of this like softness because a lot of uh, a lot of them the way that they show up in the world is you know it's like this it's hard mm. like the posture is hard the the doing brings hardness yeah the the busy the busyness and the role that they play and their training is very hard and so we play around with this idea of like softness and bringing a softness energy in which really challenges their thoughts and beliefs around what training really is and i guess that's a big part of my work over here the language and dialogue that they use around it is exercise and working out like those are the two words that they'll use to describe movement or training 
And so I like to bring in this whole concept of like, what, like what is training and what training means to me? Because it's not just about the workout that you do for 45 minutes. It's more than that. And so I'm teaching them that training is like exploration. It's movement. It's, it's like on a bigger scale. Um, and so we do a lot of work around what is actually training. And I get to challenge their beliefs around training and movement uh, in class as well. And how do you see with the clients or the people you work with or even yourself when you re uh, balance or when you look at this way of training of the physical stuff, how do you see it impact other aspects of their lives or your life? So relationships, jobs, whatever else it might be. Yeah. So I mentioned before that when I was weightlifting that it, uh, the fascination or the obsession was at the detriment to a lot of relationships in my life. And uh, because I was so focused on that. And when I let that go, I could actually just enjoy being in a space training with people. Uh, and when I met you, uh, I was still competing, but you were new on the journey of movement. And so there were so many times that we were in that space together and there was this sense of like, learning and playfulness and we would just play on the floor and and so I started to try and and come back to to that to that like that playfulness um after I let uh weightlifting go mm. yeah. yeah so when you I guess talk us through like a little bit around your training or movement or your practice now, you know, like what's, um, what does it look like for you? What do you do? You mentioned gymnastics, strength training, dance, the playfulness, like what does a week look like? Yeah. It's funny that you asked me this question because I just started to pick up a barbell again this week <laughs> after, uh, three years off, I have been sitting with this idea of going back to weightlifting uh, and what that actually looks like for me. And so I have lifted probably about half a dozen times over, in the, over the last two weeks. And I'm really exploring what's actually happening when I'm at the bar, when I'm touching the bar, when I'm having a lifting session. And it's so lovely because there's just this lightness and playfulness there, um, which wasn't there before. So I'm just enjoying it, enjoying being back at the bar. And so lately it's been touching the barbell again and me playing around with this idea of starting to lift again. Mm -hmm. uh, but previously, the last three years, <laughs> um, I, was, I guess I was called, Carson said that I've been lazy for the last three years, <laughs> like very sloth-like because I have just been walking a lot, training when I feel like it. And that could look like some hand balancing stuff. It could look like gymnastic strength training. So just work on the rings. Um, and then I started to dance again. So it looked like going to have a dance lesson once a week and then playing around with this idea of um, softness and finding that within my body because it had experienced hardness for so long. Um, 
but I don't follow a program anymore for so long. I did. It was very structured. I had set out what was, what I was doing for the day, for the week, for the program cycle. It was always in a training diary. I always had to write it down. It had to be perfect. But now I let all that go and I just do whatever I feel like. Uh, and I'm not saying that that will be the way forever. There might be a time where I really want to pick up a bar again and I really would love to explore maybe competing again. Uh, and, but I know that it would look very different and I would do things very differently um, if I was to do that again. Mm. But I walk a lot. I hike my, like I hike my dog for an hour, an hour and a half every day and that's really important. Uh, and then... I'll train most days uh, if, if I feel like it. Um, and it just depends whatever I feel like doing, but mostly it's with my own body. It sounds like a complete shift in <laughs> how you kind of look at, uh, you know, it's a, it's a flexible way of looking at, I guess, life. Like it's a more accepting way of looking at just whatever's coming up. And of course there's movement in there. It sounds like every day, but it's, so, so on paper, someone might look and go, oh, it's, a lot, it's you know, similar. There's a lot of exercise, right? A lot of working out, walking, these yeah. kinds of things. But there's this nuance in the shift in how you're talking about it, how you're approaching it, the mindset, if you want to use that word. Um, you know, and probably the joy I'd expect, like what you, what you feel, even though the weight on the bar is way less maybe. Uh, yeah, it I is. <laughs> It is now, but what do you think? Like, do you, you know, do you think going back, I mean, it'll be interesting to see going back what, um, what would yeah, happen. Yeah, it actually wasn't that, it wasn't that big of a difference. Yeah. Like I, where, where I got to the other day in my clean, it was only 15 kilos under of like, and this was like for sets and volume under of what my max was. Mm. And so like, but I'm not even, I am not even focused on the numbers. It's nice yeah. here. A lot of the things are in pounds which is beautiful for me because I yeah, I don't even know, like I don't even know what it is and I don't even want to work it out. But I think from what I've learned about myself and about energy and this attachment that I had, that was a chronic underlying stressor for me. And so what I've learned from that, I think that I would, I'd probably be able to do better and, uh, lift more by training less uh, and not being attached to it. And because I was exhausted all the time and my body was in pain all the time. That's weightlifting is hard. And if you train six days a week, three or four hours a day, that's a lot of load on the body. But I'm interested to think, okay, well, what does it look like if you're adding in joy and playfulness and these other types of training, but you still want to go back and you want to do weightlifting? Yeah. And this is where I'm at at the moment now, which is coming back to this place of curiosity and exploration. Yeah, I, I kind of think that personally, I think there's probably this kind of inflection point where you can get to, let's say, if you look athletically, like you're looking at just the numbers yeah. that you put up. I kind of feel like you can get to a point, but then like if you want to win type thing, it's like yeah. you, you're probably going to have to go to a place where you very well could break down. And it's, it, I think it's beyond that point myself, but I, you know, could be proven wrong for sure. You could reach the top level with that more open, playful way, but it's just, 
the competitive yeah. mindset is, a, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a crazy thing how yeah. powerful that well, is. Well, you're coming yeah. back into being a specialist, a specialist aren't you? Yeah. yeah. And when you're a specialist in something, the body will talk to you eventually. Yeah. Whether that be a month, whether that be a year, whether it be five or six years, eventually the body will tell you that just doing this one thing and specializing in this one thing will be at the detriment to your body. But there may be other areas of your life as well. Yeah, uh, and that's will. a big learning for me. Yeah. It'll give you long yeah. enough. You can specialize for long enough that your ego can get like richly attached to this one identity yeah. and once it's yeah. attached significantly it'll then tell you and it'll like floor you for a while to, to follow yeah. a pattern. that's what i found yeah yeah so, it's like we're not happy being a generalist yeah. we're not happy at just being okay yeah. it lets you go for a while till you get good good enough to think you you know in that yeah so uh just quickly, let's talk about what you do with women, what your work is, um, the kind of journey that people might go on or the who's it for, I suppose, the, the person that's listening, you know, what's the, yeah, what, who do you help? What do you do? Yeah, so over the years I found that um, women were getting drawn to me. So I guess that became my... Uh, my little niche uh, were these women who had uh, been chronic dieters uh, for a really long time, maybe had suffered disordered eating or eating disorders. We haven't spoken about this, but um, I did work within the dietetic space and I did specialize in eating disorders and did stuff around body image and self-esteem. And so over time, I kind of navigated back to this training space and I stopped practicing as a dietitian and really moved back into this, um, I guess, movement pillar. And I enjoyed connecting with people through movement. And so what I found is that I was attracting women that were, weren't getting results um, or they were coming to me because they just felt so stuck. There was so much out there that they didn't know what to do. And so when I start working with them, uh, we start looking at just exploring where, they, where they're at, just for them to get to connect to their body. And so I talk about it as in like the short way home and the long way home. So they've taken the short way home for a really long time. As, and the short way home is like the shortcuts, the programs, the diets, the models or the systems or like the ways to do things. Even other people's opinions can be a shortcut. And so for so long, they've just been so focused on this result and taking the shortcut, but they never actually get what I call home. And so home to me is coming back into the body, one where one feels like connected and safe and secure. And so when I work with them, it's about this whole idea of coming home back into the body because you need to connect to your body to be able to then go out and do all the things that you want to, whether that's through movement, whether that's through work, whether that's in your relationships, um, whether that's as like a parent, as a mother. Um, and so I teach them this concept of taking the long way home, <laughs> which is um, it takes a longer time, <laughs> but uh, I guess I talk about it's like uh, taking the scenic route 
So yes, you can go like the short way to work or the short way to the gym and you don't even pay attention. There's no awareness. You just get there and you get there as quick as possible. But what happens if you take a different way, which is a longer way, but you get to see something really cool or something different or the environment's a little bit different or you actually learn a little bit more about yourself. And so the work that I do with them is this concept of taking the long way home. And that starts with coming back into the body. So where am I at? What do I believe about food, about training? Um, what's my story? So what, what's my food story? What do I believe? Um, what's my story about training? And then where do I want to go? So what's my why? And so we work on finding a, finding a why that's from this place of like love and connection. Um, and this is where we start which is pretty much inviting them to drop anything, like any rules, any guidelines, any diets, anything that they followed before and start to build trust and attention with their body. And it's really scary <laughs> and it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. It uh, reminds me there's um, like the little, the little animals, like the little birds and stuff like that. When they're in a, uh, in a scarce state, like if they don't have a lot of food, they exploit their environment and they won't, they won't venture. They'll stick to like a little radius around looking for food in the same places. And yeah. when there's abundance and they have a lot of food and they, they're well fed, they'll explore and they'll leave the nest or go walking all the way around, look at different places, find new food. And it's kind of like what you're saying seems like it's like, okay, you've got this routine, this program or whatever you're doing like, and it's sending these messages and it's saying, Hey, you know, you might want to rethink something or there might be a bit of conflict here, a bit of pain or frustration. And it's like, you're shifting, helping people to shift themselves. They, they do that this movement themselves into this more abundant state in their own body by letting go of a lot of that stuff first, then you can explore and you can do the things. But it's like, what I'm hearing is it's like, you don't, you don't explore and go out and find the things, the little nuggets and all of the change that you want to make. First, you need to come home. You need to, or you need to come back into the body as the first thing to shift that whole state, to move into that abundant state. And sometimes that might even be maybe letting go of some of those things that you wanted so bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. Often it's a lot letting go of a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the things that they've, uh, that they've wanted. Yeah. So that's right. It is the, the letting go and really just the allowing and the receiving, but they need the support there to learn how to actually start to listen mm. and connect. Mm. because there's the, the disconnection has been there for so long and there's so much information out there. There's so much noise that they don't know what to do anymore. Well, and I'm not here really to give the education or to give, because there's so much out there. I'm more here to, to, just to support them and, and to help them learn how to connect because I just believe that, when you can connect power for your, to yourself and you understand your body, from there then you can go out and, you know, you can do, do whatever. You can um, 
you know, achieve whatever, but first you need to connect to your, to yourself. And there's a way that I like, that I like to train. And there is a way that they're, there's a reason why they're attracted to me, I think, because it's very different from what's out there. Like I'm not a big believer in high intensity exercise. Um, I am very like sloth like in my training. You know, I rest a lot. It's very strength focused. Um, I come from a very different place with food. It's it's always been about like this place of abundance and like what can I add in? And it's yes, it's fuel, but it's also from this place of like joy as well and connection. Um, and so I'm coming in and I'm basically flipping everything that they like believed before and we're just completely doing the opposite <laughs> well, <laughs> which the, is the, hard at the start <laughs> yeah it's almost it's it's huge right because normally you've got this idea that through matching the model that i see around me i can look a certain way or i can feel a certain way or whatever and then I'll accept myself and I can love myself because I'll be fitting in and other people will, will show me that that's a right fit. And, but that's problematic because there's no connection to your body, to your center. Whereas what you're doing is saying, okay, uh, first thing is we're going to reconnect. Basically give the middle finger to everyone else for a little bit and nothing might change in the body. You might look the same everything might be exactly the same but once that different posture acceptance self-love connection is there then we can move uh we can move towards change because your physiology is in a position where it will adapt and when it can adapt you can go and do whatever you want to do lift weights lose body weight whatever it is that's your goal it's from a place where your body will respond your mind will respond and it's sustainable, not, it's not the other way around. It's like you, you're coming first as a human, not everyone else, and then trying to match and then feel good about that. Yeah, uh, and it requires patience and time. Like what comes up is the way, best way I can explain it is that uh, when I was a child, we'd go on really long road trips and we'd be in the car, me and my two sisters all sitting in the back, and we would always be like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And so when I start working with women, this is what they are saying. Like, when will I get there? When will I be able to lose the weight? When will I be able to do the five pull-ups? And I understand that because I also came from that place. But uh, you, I can't give an answer to that because I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Everyone is so different and everyone's journey is so different. And so this question of like, are we there yet? And the whole thing is like, we, we never really, like we're never really going to arrive there. It's not about that. It's about the journey. Mm. And I'm finding that they have these great expectations that just, so great expectations to look a certain way, be able to do a certain thing, but they might, it might not match reality because like, like life is busy and they're mothers and, you know, they have jobs and like their expectation that they hold on themselves for what they need to look like or what they need to achieve may not be a, like they may, it may not be attainable. Um, if, 
they're not coming from this place of like, like love and longevity. And it's not, I'm going to say it's attainable. Definitely. We can get, I can get someone there. You can get them to lose the weight or you can get them to get the outcome or the skill, but it's like at the detriment to other areas of their health. So if you want to focus on that so much, what's happening to your relationships? Like how, how's it impacting your health, your energy, how you relate to your children, to your partner? Like, is it actually worth it? Um, or can we work on this connection and this self-acceptance and coming from this place of like compassion and patience? And then maybe we get there. Maybe you, maybe you get there, but it's not even about that. Mm. Yeah. The last, the last uh, conversation I had was with this guy, Adam Sellers, who does runs the pressure project. He takes people free diving and he talks about how he was speaking. This was just last week about how when he'll take people down this rope, that's how they go. Like maybe it's just 10 meters when you're starting out and we always want to get to you, you. People put their eyes to the bottom, this plate, like to get to the bottom and then they touch the bottom and the first thing they do is put their eyes up to the surface to get back up to the surface. But the problem is it's your, your concentration, your attention is on the place that's forward, it's in front. And when, he, when people really start to get results in the free diving, you know, they go from 10 meters to 20, 30 meters when they're just beginning is where, as they go down, they're just watching the rope. And they're just focusing on literally where they are and it allows the physiology to be present, which then allows them to get the depth that they couldn't have gotten when they're focusing on the end plate. And it's a similar thing. It sounds like it's like, yeah, we can maybe get these changes. Cool. Uh, Really though, we're looking at how you're considering yourself in this world today and how you're looking at life. And what are you learning? Like Mm. one of the favorite questions I love to ask is what did it teach you today? What did training teach you today? Uh, Because it's so much more than just the outcome. Just the result, just the weight. And when they let that go, they can really do amazing things. And I've seen it. I've seen when they finally just allow and they connect that they do get results, they do get stronger, they can change their body composition. It just takes time and just a little bit of patience and trust and attention. And probably community afterwards too, you know, like because we can have these shifts and then slip back into, because we're constantly being reconditioned, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. And then oh, you know, maybe I need to go back and do this six-week program or whatever. That continued um, cultivation of that mind, you know, that approach to life. Yes. Um, So together, together I found it. um, Together, you know, we can hold each other accountable. You can bring that connection, that energy, and you can have more fun. Whereas when they try and do it alone, which is what they've done for such a long time, they tend to get really stuck. So whether it's just together with me helping them or together with the group of women that I have in my women's bodyweight strength classes where they get to come together, together is more powerful than just trying to do it alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, 
I feel like that's so powerful across the board. You know, we've, we're more isolated than ever and people want to get results, but collaboration, open source, you know, the whole thing forever has been community focused, you know? Um, so that's really cool to bring it back into this context too. Anything else you want to add in? We'll talk about. No, I think we've, we've gone on a really nice journey. (laughs) Um, Did well for just winging it, didn't we today? Yeah, we did well for just winging it. (laughs) We like to wing it though, (laughs) just to make it up as we go. (laughs) We either winged it Um, or we could say we had 10, 15 years of prep. That's what I like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 30 years of preparation. Yeah. Yeah. Between us, we've got 30 years of preparation experience and we've um, been on very big journeys, our own training journeys where we've learned a lot. So still going, um, I guess, yeah, I guess we didn't wing it. (laughs) So where do people Um, find out where to connect with you? I know you've got a lot of free resources and stuff people can start to look at as well. Yeah, so uh, on my website, which is my name, amykatebow.com, and on there, I write a daily blog, so you can whack your email in there and get it straight into your inbox, and I write a lot about this stuff, just about training and health and hormones and trying to navigate all of that while you're trying to navigate life. (laughs) Um, There are some free resources on there as well. I just wrote... I just took three days off technology and wrote a 23-page ebook on training with your menstrual cycle, which is a whole nother conversation <laughs> um, about using your cycle as a tool and to get more out of your training. So I just wrote that and that's up on the website. Uh, and then I'm present on, on Instagram. <laughs> well, I try to be. <laughs> um, so I'm on there where I'll just post like about my training or uh, the women that I'm working with and their journey as well. And it's all my name. Uh, and I also run, I do a podcast, which I've just started on that journey. Uh, and it's called the off kilter podcast. Uh, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I'll put the links for everything into uh, the notes and I'm sure people would love to check it out. And yeah, it sounds like I might have to jump on another conversation to cover the rest of it yeah we could talk for hours <laughs> awesome yeah. all right thanks well, you so much for having me no thank you thanks for your time and have a great afternoon evening over there access potential academy is a six-month peer-to-peer program of small business owners, passion business owners, people who are doing what they love, who are looking to grow and level up together. We use project-based learning, which is the most effective way to learn and to grow, basically meaning that we do projects as we go along, both as individuals and in a group format as well. And these projects are mostly done in work, meaning that they are actually implemented within the realms of your business. So if you're interested in finding out more about Access Potential Academy or APA in 2020, send me a message, john at johntmarsh.com, and we can connect.